Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. We're also now on Patreon, so if you feel like you would like to support the podcast, I would really appreciate any donations you can make through the Patreon page for the podcast. This episode's guest is Zach Evanish of ZachEvanish.com and of Underground Strength Coach. Zach is the founder of the Underground Strength Gym with two locations in New Jersey and the USA. He's also the creator of the Underground Strength Coach certification and is the author of the bestseller, The Encyclopedia of Underground Strength and Conditioning. Zach is also the head strength and conditioning coach for the Rudders University wrestling team. Since Zach began training athletes back in 2002, he has served as a strength and conditioning coach for the Lehigh University wrestling team and continues to work with and consult with strength coaches around the world, as well as Division I coaches, athletes, and other programs. Zach holds a bachelor's in health and physical education from Ken University and a master's in health education from Mount Clare State University. Zach began his own training back in 1989 after his brother convinced him to join the wrestling team in his freshman year in Essen High School. Since 2002, Zach has been training athletes from all sports, the beginning of which started out of Zach's parents' garage and backyard, then at his first home in Edson where he began molding losing wrestlers into all-state wrestlers and average athletes into dominant athletes. On this episode, Zach and I discussed many topics including Zach's background, Zach talks about how to develop life skills through quality training, Zach talks about the importance of mindset and how he feels today's youth and population in general are lacking in their development of this key life skill. Zach tells us about his personal and professional influences. Zach and I discuss how delayed gratification is a key trait to develop to attain mastery. Zach discusses the need to be obsessed to become great. Zach also tells us why comfort is the enemy of greatness. Zach tells us about the good and not so good things that he's currently seen within the physical preparation profession and what his solutions are for the not so good things that he's currently seen. Zach shares with us his mission for enhancing the standard of physical preparation and the physical education of youth athletes in New Jersey. Zach shares with us the Andre the Giant story. This is an absolute classic. You won't want to miss that. Zach shares his life philosophy with us. Zach and I discuss parenting and how getting a better understanding of human development and behavior can enhance you as a coach. And finally, if Zach could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? As always, guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Zach, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Zach Evanish, it's an absolute pleasure and an absolute honor to have you come on to my podcast. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, which I would imagine won't be too many people, uh, just fill us in on the background, Zach. Sure. So um, the long story short was uh, I grew up and got influenced with the bodybuilding uh, ways of training in the 80s, early 90s, and... um, I got into wrestling in high school through my brother's influence and the blend of kind of that 1980s bodybuilding was not conducive for wrestling or really sport in general. So uh got injured a lot and really disappointed in my performance, which really ever since then, ever since, you know, my high school years, it inspires me to this day 
to uh, come up with methods that just like turn people into badasses. That's kind of how I look at it. Like I want to, I've always kind of delved into, you know, what makes people just like brutally strong, explosive, tough, and just turn somebody into, you know, really a, uh, you know, unstoppable force. So um, after uh, my college, uh, I was a teacher and I taught for 11 years. I still look at myself as a teacher and um, in my uh, early years of teaching, I think around my fourth year of teaching, I started getting into jujitsu and uh, I got injured. I tore my ACL and that was the moment, uh, I think I was 26 at the time, where I said, man, I'm going to find the best ways to train athletes and I'm never going to let another athlete go through the suffering I went through. Mm. And that put me on this crazy obsessive path to always finding the better ways to train. And because I was a wrestler, I said, all right, who's the best wrestlers in the world? It was the Russians. And um, I studied their methods and started implementing their methods with, you know, the bodybuilding methods, not that I learned, but more of the bodybuilding from the 60s and 70s when they were doing deadlifts and heavy squats and they would, you know, clean and press, you know, bodybuilders would oftentimes blend in weightlifting. Uh, they did a lot of powerlifting. And those are things I never did, unfortunately. You know, I was kind of came in the era when machines were taking over the gyms. Yeah. So I looked big and strong, but I wasn't. And I didn't learn, you know, that, of course, I had no mentor. There was no – I never heard of a strength coach, Um you know, no athlete was even had a trainer at any gym. I saw that the trainers were working with, you know, like people that were bodybuilders or like, you know, women that were just trying to be fit. So it didn't, there was no connection there. So when I started this kind of obsessive path, I started uh, training local kids in my neighborhood out of my parents' garage. And I had bought a 300-pound uh, weight set for $99. And, um, I would train them in my parents' garage, which was very small. One of the kids was so tall and the ceiling was so short that like when he would deadlift, he would kind of like duck his head. So his head wouldn't hit the ceiling. And then I would train them with like deadlifts and barbell row and power clean. Uh, I would deadlift the bar to them to do floor presses. Then I would take them in my backyard, had all these stones. And what I was doing was like, I had remembered seeing World's Strongest Man of the 80s, early 80s, late 70s on TV when I was a kid. And they would carry stones, so I would have them carry stones. And then on the tree, I would take a beach towel and put it over there and make them do pull-ups with a beach towel. We had a big tree cut down, so I had an axe in the back, and I like copied Rocky Four and made them like train with like bodybuilding, strongman, and Rocky Four. And um, the first two kids I trained was basketball player and wrestler, and they started getting so explosive. Like the basketball player, like that month he started like dunking the ball. He he was just like killing it, killing it. The wrestler, I remember, after two weeks, he went and entered a tournament and beat a kid pretty badly who had beaten him like two weeks prior. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of me saying like, holy shit, I didn't even know really what I was, you know, I didn't know what kind of effect this would have because I'd never seen this really being done. At the time that I started training kids, you know, it was called functional training. 
So everybody was like standing on a wobble board doing shit on one leg. And I was like, oh, my God, am I like an idiot? I'm training kids with stones. I'm chopping wood. And shouldn't I be doing something on one leg? Shouldn't I be standing on a stability ball? And I actually really questioned what I was doing. I felt like a outcast, you know, because everything I read was functional, functional, functional. And uh, I had to really develop results more so to the point where I said, damn, results is all that counts. Um, and why do I need to stand on a wobble board? Is the wrestling mat wobbling? Like, like I just started putting common sense. I mean, I questioned everything to the point, Robbie, where I was like, do I need to wear a collared shirt? Should I tuck in my shirt? You know, the internet like uh, made me overthink everything. And uh, <clears throat> I'm really glad that I was able to just always look at it in a very black and white, the way I did when I was a teacher, which was, is this good for the kids? Do it. Is this not good for the kids? Then you don't do that. So that's what actually caused me to leave teaching was I was trying to, you know, I was teaching. I was in my 11th year. Uh, I was in a town where the football team used to win all the time. They had lost like 30-something games in a row, so like three and a half years of losing. And I kept saying, you know, let me take my training and help the players and help the athletes. And the administration was just like, nah, you know, don't worry about it or we can't do it because if you're here, we need somebody at the other school. And I was just like, man, I felt like I couldn't be creative. So I said, I got to just kind of go out and do my own thing. And uh, while I was teaching was when everything was kind of growing. You said you watched my earlier videos. Yeah. I basically went once back then there was no, uh, there may have been an iPhone, but I used a flip cam. It was called, it was like a little upright camera, had a little tripod and you would just press it and record stuff. So I started taking pictures of our workouts, recording them. I remember I put up the first video on YouTube and I called my friend. I said, dude, there's this website called YouTube. It's amazing. I put up a video and 16 people watched it. 16 people I said to him. So like, uh, I look back and it's so funny. So, you know, I went from parents garage to the first house my fiance and I bought training them out of a garage, a backyard. I'd go to the local elementary school down the street. And, uh, I, I really, um, the kids would blend their sports practice with lifting with me. And man, those were some of the most badass athletes because they were tough. They were strong. We trained indoors, outdoors. And I think that blend of the elements made them, you know, it, it transformed them in a way that was much deeper than just the physical. So that's still my goal now. My goal is still to like, you know, the internet is so, uh, it's like the information is so big. It doesn't stop, but I'm like, what the shit is that like that I'm actually looking at? It's like, who's coming up with this stuff? So I'm on this mission to really take training, <clears throat> implement it, share it with the world for the younger generation. And for like the people that are in combative scenarios, law enforcement, you know, all kinds of the police, um, military, um, people that really have to uh, not just use the physical, but also the mental so I'm more in tuned with that style of how that training, 
will make you strong in and out of the gym, mm-hmm. you know, versus kind of um, the bodybuilding. But although, you know, I'm super influenced by bodybuilding, like if I took you through a tour of my office, I have <clears throat> um, like crates and bookshelves and drawers filled with the old magazines and books, some of them from uh, like 1890-something, and then the magazines from the 1940s through the 1970s were just awesome. And I feel like as advanced as everything is, you know, all this technology, um, you've got to be in tune with the person's emotional and what they need to do so that it has a transfer of training. You know, you get too involved with technology, um, you like get disconnected from the person. So I'm a very intuitive style coach. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a paradox in that we're probably the most connected society. Well, not probably, we are the most connected society in, in the history of, of, of the human species in terms of our ability to communicate. I mean, like you're in America right now and I'm in Ireland, but at the same time, on a more emotional intelligence level, we're probably more disconnected than we've ever been. Um, because yeah. again, people people find it easier to have a relationship with a phone than with another human being because it's just they they they've grown up now in a society where they haven't learned skills of communication. Um, and I say that as an individual who probably struggles with communication skills myself. I think we all do to a degree, but I sure. think I think the newer generations are even struggling even more because <clears> I <throat> I can still remember a time where there was pre-internet and pre-mobile phone. Like I, I remember having this conversation with some young kids, like and they were saying, "So what did you do?" Like if if somebody was late, I'm like, we just used to wait. And they're like, for like how long? Sometimes we wait an hour. And then we used to go, then we used to go to the phone box and call their landline. Right. Every time I see a pay phone, I'm like, damn, does that thing actually work? Like what, you know, if I have to put some money in it, you yeah. know, and I say what you're saying, I say to like the high school, I say to the college kids, I go, I feel bad for you guys. Cause you'll never know what it's like to have to, you know, you see a hot girl and you're out at the club or the bar and uh, you won't even know how to approach that girl because you're going to now, like, try to connect with her on her social media, whatever. What, I don't even know. Inst- I don't even know how to do it. But I go, you'll never ha- you'll never experience, like, the balls it takes to be like, man, that girl is hot. I need to talk to that girl. <laughs> That's so hilarious. They, yeah, they miss out on that stuff. And you're right. The communication is, you know, some kids um, will and their parents – will uh, research too much shit and they become like nerds. They don't actually know what works. So when, if I'm training the college athletes or I'm training the high school athletes, I'm like, I'm like, don't YouTube spot him. Don't YouTube squat. <laughs> like, I, you know, if they, they, cause it's like they, they, they don't experience it. They just watch it. So even, you know, I run a certification um, a strength coach certification. I've been doing that uh, since I opened the gym. So it's about nine, 10 years now. And through the years, I remember in the early years, people were like, yeah, I never did a floor press or I never did a zercher squat. And through the years, people learned how to kind of train themselves. But then here's where it got tricky. On one of the mornings, I let them uh, help me coach the athletes and that's where they don't, they don't know how to command the room. They don't know how to like kind of, um, okay, this kid seems a little bit shy, doesn't make eye contact. How can I build his confidence through the workout? Or how can I communicate with that athlete about, you know, uh, the proper 
foot position on a squat or how low to go or where their chest should be. So they learned how to train, but they didn't learn how to communicate the training. And uh, that's really where the beauty is. That's where the magic lies is, you know, you have this knowledge, you want to be a coach, but can you, you know, put it into the words and present it in a way and deal with the multiple personalities of all the different kids. So it's, um, it's a different world where, you know, we always said like back in the, I learned a deadlift. I was deadlifting at a gym with 25 pound plates. And I remember a powerlifter came up to me and said, uh, Hey man, this is how you got to lift it. You got to flatten out your back. And because you got those quarters on, you know, you're probably going to round your back. Let's go with a plate. Your back needs to be flat. I didn't know how to deadlift, but somebody showed me how, whereas now you're going to kind of like, look it up. You're going to research it. But I thought there was a beauty in fucking like going in and getting your hands dirty in the gym and doing shit wrong. And, you know, maybe you see the big guy in the gym squatting and you've been like wondering like, man, I got to learn from him. And he's squatting and it's your leg day. And you're just like, Hey, uh, my name's Zach. I'm, I'm squatting today. Can I work in with you? Just finding a way to train with those guys. And that's actually a lot of how I learned. So when I trained at this one gym, very, it's kind of like the bodybuilding gym of like Westside Barbell. So Westside is powerlifting. This gym was called Diamond Gym. And I remember being in that gym and seeing uh, dudes like incline benching 315 for sets of 10. Jesus. I saw, I saw a lot of guys squatting five plates low and doing like, you know, tens, not doing just triples. I remember seeing guys doing rack pulls inside the York isometric rack, the little rack that you see Bruce Lee training. And I remember like they were doing rack pulls with six plates, traps busting out. I was like, what is the hell is that exercise? So I learned by going into a place. Not only that, I, I drove about 30 minutes there. You drive through the hood to get to this place. You know, the first time I went there was for a 5 a.m. workout. And I was like, I'm going to be the first, I'm going to be the first lifter here. And I park behind the gym. And as I'm walking down the sidewalk, down the hill, I hear the music pumping. Boom, 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 through the window. And I'm like, damn, sounds like they, they got here. Somebody opened up. I open up the door and like the heat of the gym hits me in the face. And there's like 30 dudes just like, ah, like killing the gym. And I'm like, fuck. It said 5 a.m. open. These motherfuckers probably got here at 4.30, 4.15. People working out in jeans, work boots, cut off flannels. And that to me was like, ah, I've arrived in a place that's going, this is where I need to be. And we don't have gyms like that anymore. You know, that gym is still exists. But that gym, that atmosphere of the gym also influenced me to build an intense atmosphere at my gym. Intensity to me is key. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. will, oh, you know, um, uh, cycle your training, periodize this or that. Um, it's When things are too perfect, you don't build tough athletes because when athletes compete, their competition tends to be, um, unless it's, you know, like a boxer or an MMA fighter, You know, if we're talking about a sport athlete, soccer, football, rugby, they go through games, matches, competitions. Then at the end of their season is the tournament that counts the most. Well, they've just competed for like three to four months, 12, 16 weeks. Their body's friggin' beat up. Now, they're weak-minded because you've made everything so perfect for them. They will not thrive in 
you know, this uh, competitive environment. And that's why I train our athletes, football, wrestling, baseball, <clears throat> to prepare. Even I tell it to my own kids. My kids are 9 and 11. I say, listen, it's hot. You're tired. But when you have a doubleheader baseball game and it's like 98 degrees and you're very hot, you're thirsty, you're tired, the toughest guys, you know, you're going to win because you're going to be like, oh, I've been hot and tired and exhausted before. And now I need to get my, you know, my mind is ready for this. This is another day at the office for me. That's why I always say when I train, it's like a blending of science and a blending of hell. I got to. I gotta train your mind probably more than I need to train your body. You know, most people to me, you know, you could whatever deadlift 500 pounds. Good. Now you could deadlift 500 pounds, but if this is a football game, I need you to be able to deadlift. Then I need you to be able to like bench and carry. Now I need you to be able to sprint the sleds. I need you to do some arm work to, to build your joints up. I need you to do, uh, you know, a med ball circuit so you develop speed and power endurance. I need you to be tough for an hour, not just to build up, you know, so there's tough, there's that toughness you get from the heavy one set type lift. Then there's the toughness you get from the regularity of hard training. And, you know, I, I'm more of like an auto regulatory train coach. Yeah. So when, <clears throat> when I'm warming them up, I decide where I need to go. If I communicate with the coaches, how are they looking? If they're run down, I change the training. I speak to them differently. I dial them back in on lifestyle, nutrition, sleep. Big, big tournament coming up. I back it up. Like I learn how to kind of blend the mind body. Cause if we just go through the science, um, we're not enough training the emotional aspect. You know, to me, I always say you're, your training must transcend the gym walls. It has to apply to things. Absolutely. So I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. I've, I've ran into way too many people who could, you know, de uh, uh, present at a seminar or conference with a great PowerPoint. And then I watch them train and it's like, well, that exercise technique is no good. You're squatting halfway down. knees caving in, rounded back. Um, there's no intensity here. But goddamn, you impressed the shit out of me with your PowerPoint. But now that I'm seeing the thing, I'm not impressed. Yeah. So I think that we've gone, we're getting too carried away with a lot of all this science and tech, and we're losing the human connection. So I use technology to track training. We use it at my gym. The kids could track, you know, all right, we squatted yesterday, track your best weights, um, you know, and then they could oh, you want to break a record today? Well, let's see what you've squatted. And we click the squat and it shows what they've done for the past two years on squats. Boom, you squatted 315 for a double. All right, I need you to get mentally psyched up. You, If you do 315 for three, that's it. You broke a record. Or if, or if you do 325 for one, we broke a record with, you know, absolute strength. Decide how you want to break this record. Let's get mentally ready. Like, get them into that. Um, you know, uh, this... We, I train a, a university wrestling team and on Fridays we do a stadium workout, football stadium. It's so brutal. It's sprints and sprint repeats and running stairs. It's just so tough. And, uh, I had to connect with this one kid who's like great wrestler, but sometimes he holds back on the training because he overthinks the shit. 
So uh, I, I had to kind of get into it a little bit with him, but I know how to get into it with him just enough to spur him to perform better versus to argue and take away his energy. And then we could say, hey, man, remember that time we had that conversation? You felt like you train and you leave it in the tank. Well, listen, man, how you do anything is how you do everything. You battle here. Well, when you wrestle somebody very physical, you're going to recall this moment and it's going to push you over the edge and allow you to outperform that person. Or you're going to be uncomfortable or we're going to travel and have some jet lag or we're going to travel to another university and maybe the friggin' heater's broken and you're freezing or the heater's broken and it's so hot, but you're going to be like, oh, I've trained in the extreme heat. I've trained when it's cold. I've trained when I'm uncomfortable. I've pushed through and thrived. So I'm always trying to get them to uh, make the connection from the training to the sport. If I'm training adults, it's how do you connect the training to life, especially, you know, you I don't I don't watch the news much, but enough of it comes across our social media feeds with, you know, police brutality, police being attacked, um, these natural disasters like these floods and stuff like that. They cause, you know, looting and gangs and robberies and uh, violent attacks. And for me, um, that shit was very close when the hurricane hit this area. So I remember just thinking to myself when I was like carrying the generator filled with gas, you know, take the generator inside around midnight so nobody goes in the backyard to steal it. Wake up at three or four in the morning cold lift that thing it's like 250 pounds but it's in front of you it's like carrying a big sandbag no warm-up i'm mentally ready for it because i've been tired before i've trained with lack of sleep i've trained with i've left a barbell in the garage with 315 and would deadlift it without a warm-up a couple times a day so you know to train myself for those moments and and that's kind of how i look at training is um, when I was young, I looked the part, but I did not perform the part. And I never want anybody to be that way. I mean, if you're a bodybuilder, it don't matter. But uh, I'm more now, I'm like about performance, about being a bad motherfucker. Like, that's what I want you to be. So I want to train the mind because that to me is the biggest thing. The mind drives the body. And I've had a gym now. Before, not counting the times from my parents and my own house, but when I opened the first warehouse 10 years ago, there's been a decline in the kind of kids I see. Mm. They're just not tough. They're like, they're not tough. They're less physically capable. They've become less mentally resilient. Um, everything about them has been, is less, you know, like as soon as something's inconvenient, quit. As soon as a finger is broken, quit. Whereas in the early days, if a kid had surgery on his knee or shoulder, he showed up in a cast and he said, let's work around this. Or a kid would throw up and he'd come back in and be like, ah, I'm good. Ah, <laughs> you know, now if a kid throws up, he's like, oh my God, like what the hell? Um, it's, you know, they're like, can't believe that they got sick, you know, for like, it's just a different breed and I don't like it, man. I am not about that. So I still want to build an army of hammers. And I'm going to do it somehow, some way. I don't give a shit what this, what is happening in the world. I will build the hammers. <laughs> yeah, I believe a, a word um, that I got from you was pussification. 
You're, is that a word? I, I I I don't know if you made it up or got it from someone else, but I remember you were saying like the pussification of our of our nation, basically. The, the I wrote an article on it, and people got so mad. Yeah, um, yeah. I think like one of the comedians had said it. Um, I think it was George Carlin. He he said something bad. She, so I wrote she, great I, comedian. Yeah, I, I wrote an article on it, and people got so mad. Like, why you got to say pussification? I'm like, listen, it's just a phrase. Like, if you said, hey, why are you being a dickhead? I wouldn't be like, oh, why you say the word dick? Like, I don't care. Like, I'm just not sensitive to the words, yeah. you know? And the really, the you know, the bottom line is I tell the kids, I go, guys, what I'm saying to you is what I say to my kids. And my son is young. He's nine. My daughter's 11. But they sometimes come to the gym. My daughter started coming to the gym once a week. And I tell them, I go, I go you're not special here. This gym doesn't treat you special because you're my son. You're my daughter. At the underground, everybody's a workhorse. If you're not working, you walk home. Get out of here. I tell it to my kids because I don't ever want them to think that, you you know, if you're going to show up, then you got to work. That's it. The work is the gift. Don't avoid it. Don't do lunges and stop five feet short of the end. Don't coast to the end. Don't, you know... To me, the you will succeed in life if your mind is hardened. You have to be ready for a tough life, you know. And it, and when you're tough, you're just more capable. Yeah, yeah. No I, mean, there, I, I listened to an interview you did with Travis Mash um, a little while ago, and you spoke mm. about you know that convenience and excellence can't live yep. side by side, which I thought was a great quote and. Something I've spoken an awful, an awful lot about on uh, on this podcast, previous guests, is this uh, concept of mastery, and and a huge part of mastery is delayed gratification, and the fact that we live in a society, society, society now of instant gratification due to like all of our, you know, iPads, iPhones, and social yep. media. You know, a lot of the younger generations, like they 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 just have never had to delay gratification and. You know, they want to speed up the process of success in life. And so, again, as you said, if it's not convenient, they'll just give up. Whereas, you know, back in the day, like, you just have to put in those hours and hours and hours. And you have to hours. grind and grind and grind. Obsessive. And like, as, as Mike Boyle once joked, he says, yes, I was a 30-year overnight success. I know, yeah. yeah. Every so, overnight success story has a has a 10-year history. So, like, so, yeah, so like, it's longer. It's yeah. longer. He's right. Thirty years sounds right. Uh, like, and if you look at some of the great and the uh, fantastic book to read is Mastery by Robert Greene. But I mean, if you look well, at some some of the great uh, that book shit like was a huge influence on me. But uh, if you look at some of the great great people throughout history, so like say even like Lincoln for instance, like no, Lincoln was a nobody until his fifties, like. And then like you look at some other people like the likes of in in that book by Master Robert Greene, like the likes of. Michelangelo, Mozart, and people are like, oh, they're just gifted. And he's like, no, they, they put like years in before they, they, they create any of their masterpieces. And like a lot of these people who, who became masters of craft had multiple failures. Um, and it's just like they, they, they understood that the, the process of mastery was, was a continuous journey and that delaying gratification was a massive, massive part to their ability to master their craft. And, Again, I just think nowadays, and I, I'm young enough, I'm 30, but I suppose I'm talking about like the millennials, like, they'll probably never really fully grasp the concept of, of delayed gratification and, and true mastery, because again, we're, we're in a society, 
a society again of instant gratification. So I completely get where you're coming from. And just before you, you uh, I ask the next question and you start talking, I have to say that quote you said of uh, you want your training in the gym to transcend the gym walls, that's, that is T-shirt quality right there. That's beautiful. Um, <laughs> but Zach, just uh, uh, your in, your greatest influences on you both professionally and personally, who would you, who would you put in that, those categories? You know, personally would be my grandfather, uh, my father, my wrestling coaches, you know, my grandfather, my grandparents escaped the Holocaust. So from mm-hmm. Poland, they went to Russia. My grandfather was in the Polish army. Then he had to go into the Russian army. And uh, my dad told, I mean, my brother told me, my brother was in the Israeli army, you know, from, uh, he was, we, you know, grew up here and he uh, left to Israel to join the military there. And my grandfather would um, share with him a lot of stories and um, said, like, when, you know, he was in the Russian army, he goes, they would send, you know, the Russian, you'd be out and you'd be basically outnumbered like nine to one against, um, like, the Nazis. The It was like, he goes, some of the Russians, they'd go out without even, like, a gun. They'd go out with just kind of like a knife. And then from uh, Russia, uh, the Israeli army. So my grandfather was in three different countries armies wow um you know basically built you know his house just like amazing no wonder so you, when, no wonder you're a hard bastard coming from that background it's like you know well i think of like i always regret not going into the military and i didn't get this kind of like hardness un, until kind of my later years like my almost probably like my early 30s you know my younger years i would like to work hard my dad said but be comfortable because I remember I, I must have had a conversation with him about, you know, I think I'm going to I'm going to join the military. Go, Zach, you're not like your brother. He goes, you like to go to your gym, work hard. Then you like to come home here and be in your own bed and have a home cooked meal. And I was like, son of a bitch. You know, he's fucking like telling me like I'm really not that tough. Whereas my brother, he wanted to fucking live, you know, out in the woods for six weeks and, and be tested to the to his utmost limits and uh, probably because he had a tougher, you know, uh, upbringing, he would get into fights a lot in his younger years and Mm -hmm. he would get bullied and he would fight back and he'd beat people up who would bully him. So it was like when your life is comfortable, you know, you become, um, you're the result of that comfort. So my grandfather was just so fucking just tough, but also energetic and a man of like many, many different skills. So he worked for like a cement factory. So um, the house they had was just kind of like a kitchen, um, a one room, and then another kind of like master bedroom. And then he built like the whole, like a flat downstairs, like basically a, a home downstairs. The house was surrounded by all kinds of fruit trees, um, oranges, grapes, lemons, pomegranates, other things. And he would make... Uh, he would, you know, they would, the oranges, they'd make fresh, literally fresh orange juice. He'd make wine from the grapes. He never had a, never had a car, so he'd ride his bike or walk everywhere. And he was just like, you know, he just, it's so amazing, like the way he did everything that he did, just like, just blows my mind. You know, it always makes me feel so like, what am I doing? Like, it just doesn't really, you know, compare. And then, of course, you know, my father, his work ethic, that always taught me a lot. I always share the story of, I was a senior in high school. We had a half day. I came home. 
and he was home. My father would usually leave at 6 a.m., home at 7, and it's like 11.30, and I said, oh, what are you doing? And he had his briefcase open. He's on the phone. He's like, I just got laid off. And, you know, I share the story of, like, today, if people get laid off, they collect their unemployment, you know, to the whatever it is, six months or whatever it is. He was on that phone, like, fucking making phone calls, getting a job. He was, wor- like... He wasn't like, oh, I'm laid off. I'm going to go sit on this couch. He fucking worked, man. Like, to me, I thought that was great. And he taught me lessons that made me, <clears throat> made me, re- made me respect work. So when I was in third grade and my bike was stolen, he didn't go and buy me another bike. My son has fucking three, two bikes. My daughter, do- like everybody has bikes in this house. I get my bike stolen. He's not like, oh, I'll buy you a new one. I, he's, He's like, save your money, save your money, buy another one. It took me like three months. I got two paper, one in the morning, one after school. I saved that money. While my friends are riding bikes, I'm chasing. I'm running everywhere, running, running. Finally, I was like, fuck, I can't, I just can't wait anymore. I bought a bike I didn't really want. <laughs> I probably could have worked another month, but I was like, I cannot keep fucking everybody's on their bike, having fun. And my dad did not buy me a bike. Fucking was like, just save your money, dude. And it reminds me of the story I heard lady from John Martini on a podcast. John Martini said that his dad made him pay, like, so John Martini had to pay his dad, like, $7 a week or something in rent to live at home. Like, when he, when he was, when he started working, like, he was, like, 11 or 12, he started, like, mowing lawns and delivering the newspaper. Yep. And his dad got rent. And, like, John Martini goes, and he tells the story, people go, God, your dad was such a hard ass. And he goes, my dad was teaching me to be a businessman and an entrepreneur from 11 years old. He's like, I wouldn't yep. be the success I am today without my father having doing that. Yeah. It's like, to me, and I don't know John, I'm going to have to search him up. That's also the, the thing about technology is like, I, I don't, I can't even stay in touch with the people I want to learn from because somehow the wrong information. Yeah. Filter, is, is, filters are, are as big as ever now. Like Right. So like, shit I don't care about keeps showing up on YouTube and Facebook. And somebody had posted on my YouTube channel. They're like, dude, why the fuck does this video have 200 views, 300 views? And people commented under my video saying, you're too raw and you tell the truth. So you will never be popular. That's what he said. (laughs) He goes, you're telling the truth. Like meaning, all right, I'm, I'm lifting weights, but I didn't set my hair on fire. So nobody going to watch that. But like, it's all this kind of like, shock value where really I say, you know, the expert, you know, the amateur seeks the fads and the gimmicks, the expert, you know, is the power behind the basics. It's really the Bruce Lee, you know, quote of like, I don't fear the man who, you know, uh, kicked, you know, uh, 10,000 different kicks. I fear the man who practiced one kick 10,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. You're an expert in that area. Yeah. I think it does that saying too, in the beginner's mind there, there is, uh, there's, there's like endless options and in the master's mind, there's only a few. I, I say though, like you always want to learn. So I'm, I keep my mentality is like, I'm always a white belt. I'm always ready and open-minded, willing to learn, but <clears throat> I'm not going to get duped by, you know, the fake yeah. shit. Like I, I've been training people for so long, the little nuances, like I could see the little things like, you know, how can I get that kid to connect with this, you know, big sandbag shouldering? How can I get this kid to connect with where his hips need to be in relation to the bar during a power clean, hitting the thigh, you know, the thigh sweep? How can I get them to connect with that? 
how can I not get this kid who's sensitive to not be sensitive and to get fired up to get stronger? You know, we were you were talking about like the delayed gratification. You need to be obsessed. That's what people need to be. Meaning, you know, in seventh grade, this is the summer before seventh or the summer before eighth grade. All we're hanging out, all my friends in the street, and we're arm wrestling on the hood of the car. And I get beat by everybody, everybody. I hear my dad whistle. That means it's ten o'clock at night. I go home. I turn on the lights, and I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do push-ups, and I'm gonna win these arm wrestling. I'm gonna max out on push-ups. I go. I think I did two push-ups. I failed on the third push-up, and I said, tomorrow I got to do three push-ups. The next day four. The next day five. Well, instead of going day by day, the next morning I did three. Afternoon, I did four. That night, I did five. I willed myself to get stronger. The next morning, six. So I basically tripled my results by adding one rep morning, afternoon, evening. You should sell, that, you should sell that shit. That's right. Yeah, fucking $1 million, right? The secret and da-da-da. Like, I'm almost embarrassed at, like, the, the titles of the shit I, I put together in my early days of internet marketing because it was all so hypey, hypey. The secret, the but what secret? Like bust your ass and shut your mouth. <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. you know, I tell kids, I go, dude, you've been with you've been training with me for six months and you're still struggling on push-ups. You don't need a strength coach to do push-ups. You I tell them the truth. I go, you ain't obsessed. You're not obsessed. You don't care. That's why you ain't getting better at push-ups. I go, you should be killing, you should do from at your age, you should be ripped. You should look like a Spartan and you should be able to do 50 push-ups. You know, and I tell them if they get teary eyed, I go, don't fucking cry. I go, because I'm lying to you if I say it's okay that you're not getting better. Yeah, you're, go, en you're enabling them. That's right. I go, if you don't get obsessed, I go, then like, forget it. I go, and I tell them the flip side. I go, you know what? The competition loves people like you because you don't care. And you're the guys that the competition beats. Mm. You're not going to win that way. And let me tell you, like shit that doesn't have nothing to do with science. I was training this group of kids. Uh, they're probably like 12 years old when they started. You know, a year and a half later, the majority are like doing heavy farmer walks. They're squatting with a bar on their back. They're benching. They're 14 years old. They're starting to do the exercises, the basic barbell lifts. The one kid... Still, like, you know, every time he lifts a weight, he's, like, hunched over, looks like a kind of like a geezer, you know, an old geezer. His knees are caving in. He's struggling on push-ups. I said, dude, I I got so I got so fired up with him, he, he was about to cry. I go, don't cry. I go, go outside. You're not crying, dude. You go outside, and you get back in here, and you get your mind right. I go, guess what your middle name is? What? <laughs> I go, squats. I go, you're going to fucking squat every day I see you. I don't care if your ankles are ready or not. You've been training him for so long. And I think I squatted him with the bar. I had to do box squats with him. He was like, we did 45 pounds for like 10 sets of two. And then the next week it was like 55, 65. But all he did was like squat, push up, lunges, farmer walk. But he would squat like 12 to 15 sets. I'd squat for an hour. Everything was based around squats. By putting that bar on his back and adding weight, we got rid of the box. He got – his ankles got better. His back got better. 
And it was because we finally stopped babying him mm. because I have a kind of like a progression of like, before you train and touch a barbell, we're going to do a lot of unilateral work. We're going to lunge. We're going to do a one-arm dumbbell clean and press. We're going to do one-arm kettlebell carries. We're going to do a lot of dumbbell work. We're going to do lunges and split squats. But And then they build up this foundation, and then they're ready to do a trap bar deadlift. They're ready to do a zercher squat. They're ready to put a bar on their back. But this kid wasn't. It was because mentally, if you don't give a shit, you ain't going to get strong. You must will yourself. You must be obsessed about being strong. Obsessed to the point that, like, for me, when I'm driving – uh, I took my daughter to a tennis tournament. I saw like trees cut down. When I see trees like laying down, I'm like, damn, I could squat those trees. I could like flip the trees. I could get, I could lift those trees and get strong. You see everything as a way to get strong. You know, I would see and pass a school like, I wonder if they got parallel bars there for hand walking and dips. Or, oh man, they got a big empty parking lot. I could push my truck across that lot. You have to think that way. This kid finally turned the corner because we put a bar on his back and we said, that's it. Do or die, baby. Whereas really back in the day, if you were going to lift when I was young, you didn't start out with no intro program. You started squatting on day one. (laughs) And nobody was like, oh, his ankles are unstable. Nobody knew. And I think because we know more, we're like big babies about everything. Oh, your ankles. Oh, your this. Oh, your that. I have consistently found that getting people strong all around fixes a lot of these. Oh, your shoulder. Oh, your, your, you know, your scapula is off. Well, that's because you sit all day. Let's fucking lift some weights, man. It's like uh, that, that Mark Ripetal saying, stronger people are harder to kill and generally more use or, or, or and more useful in general. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, sure. Stronger people are harder to kill and more useful in general. So, but it's uh, even like I, I uh, interned and I used to, and worked at Mike Boyle's training edition. In one of Mike's presentations, he used to give, he used to uh, like he talked about like you know a lot of movement issues with people. But then kind of at the end of his presentation, he he then put up the slide and he'd just say, but but I think most people just suffer from this, and he's like a severe case of weakness. <laughs> and, and he was just like, if you just get people stronger, a lot of the shit that I spoke about earlier on in terms of yep. movement dysfunction and common injuries like takes care of itself. Uh, and it's just, yeah, exactly. I mean, somebody, um, just posted that, um, we use, um, have you ever heard of the Sparta scan system, the Sparta track? Uh, yeah, I have. Phil yeah, Wagner? Yeah, yeah I know so, Phil well. I, I, I actually, it's funny you said it because I just listened to your interview with Phil today and he's someone yeah. I want to go because he's such an amazing background being a medical doctor and getting yeah, his training. So he got tired of, I want to talk about Phil and Mike Boyle because I love those guys. So Phil was basically, you know, in college football, if a team is losing, usually from what I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but from college football coaches, they always say when they're losing, the football coaches always says, well, we're not strong enough. We ain't fast enough. And Phil was like, dude, I had the data. He was at one of the universities. They get, they all get let go. And he's like, I had the data of where we stood with our squats and power cleans and our sprints and all this and our vertical jump and he goes we were we were strong we were fast so he came up with kind of the sparta scan as or they were saying we're getting injured because they're weak so we just used the sparta scan over at rutgers and we just tested the wrestlers so i'm going to see kind of where their uh, deficiencies are but 
my buddy Jim Steele said, he goes, you know why I love Phil? He goes, because it always comes back to, you know, eat steak, sleep nine hours, squat, sprint, deadlift. It always comes back to that. He goes, because to improve your deficiencies, that's what you need to do. And, you know, with um, what's so interesting about like Mike Boyle is people were like, he's saying, don't back squat, don't back squat, but people misread it. And I was at a conference once and Mike was sitting and talking and I was like, oh man, Mike, Mike Boyle's talking. Let me just fucking take this in and just like memorize everything he's saying. And like he would talk and there was some guy that would be like, every time Mike would say something, he'd have to like talk about how he's doing this and that with his, with his athletes. And I felt like saying, bro, sometimes you got to shut your mouth and just listen. And I heard an interview with Mike saying, I didn't tell people don't squat. I'm telling people these are the cards we're dealt with. These guys are, <clears throat> I'm training athletes who are high level or they've been in the pros. They're coming near the middle or the end of their uh, career. And back squatting for them is not going to make them better. Adding more weight to the bar isn't going to make them better. So I'm going to do heavy split squats. But he goes, we got guys doing split squats with 100-pound dumbbells. That's Fucking strong, man. There was actually so, there, there was a kid yeah. at Bo- there was a kid at Boyles, and he he could split squat three fifteen for five on a with a barbell with a barbell. Yeah, yeah, like you know when I actually going back when I was training kids out of my house the the two car garage. Yeah, I would train the sports separately. The football players trained in one group, wrestlers in the other. The football players, I had a kid who was like five foot four, and another kid who was like six two six four. I had one squat rack, so I couldn't squat them. So they never, this sounds crazy, they never did back squats, but they did heavy lunges. I remember having guys doing like reverse lunges with 90-pound dumbbells. Mm. They did zercher squats. They did trap bar deadlifts. They did sleds and lunges and sprints, hill sprints and jumps. They didn't back squat. And uh, when I opened the gym, that short kid uh, box squatted, it was like, five plates, a 10 and a five. So it was like 525 and we never even squatted him. Yeah, He was yeah. strong. By the time I opened the gym and I had the two power racks to separate them by height. Um, I, and I have the earliest videos of them. You see them squatting 405, yeah. a little bit above parallel, not, not super duper ass to grass, but those guys were fucking hammers. And it was like, it, it proved to me like, all right, it doesn't matter if I back squat or not. It's a great exercise, but I'm going to do a lot of shit that works. And that's that. And it doesn't matter if I don't power clean. I power clean. There's only, there's only two, there's only two athletes that need to squat and that's Olympic lifters and power lifters. And I think again, we spoke about this before on previous episodes that you get a lot of, a lot of people who are just locked in on certain exercises. And the need for is that exercises are merely just the means to get the adaptations. There's, there's so many exercises you can choose from yeah. to, to, to develop so many different um, physical qualities, you know, be it again, that strength or power or speed. And if somebody doesn't believe in it, like I've, I train um, some kids who, especially at the college setting, if they've been around for a while, maybe they've got injuries or they fucking listen to too many podcasts. If they're not having the buy-in on something, I've got to get them to buy in and believe in the squat or believe in the training. Um, otherwise, the training will not take. Because if you mentally don't believe, or even I, I share this, um, I shared this in the book that I wrote, and I had this conversation with a with a college athlete. Was um, 
he all summer he goes, man, I've been going through such a tough time. He's like, I dated this girl all through high school. We broke up and it just fucking killed me. He goes, it just destroyed me all summer. It like made me so stressed out, this and that. And he goes, so what I've been doing is I've been running and he goes, and I run to like break myself. I run to see how hard and how much pain I could handle. This kid, if you see him run, like when we did stadiums, he was so far ahead of everybody. Like when I see him, he reminds me of like somebody who's going to, who could be a Navy SEAL. Like he could just, there's, I don't know, like he's blocking the pain, but when he was going through the emotional time, he's like, dude, it's like, I couldn't lift and I couldn't get to it. And I speak about when I was depressed in my late teens for six months, I didn't gain any strength or muscle because your mind puts up a roadblock to it for what, I don't know how that actually works, but if the mind is not connected to the body, to the muscles, to the nervous system, you won't get it. You won't get results. When I got pulled my, my head out of my ass and said, I'm going to start being a badass. I remember gaining like 12 pounds in two weeks. My training didn't change. My eating didn't even change, but I had this like inner energy, this inner power. And if, People don't have the mindset. You could train. Me and you could train side by side. I see it all the time with kids I train. They've been training together. They go to the same school. They go to the same sports practice. The one kid becomes a hammer. The other kid looks like he never lifted before. And it looks bad on us. Like, damn, our training doesn't work. Training works when your brain wants it, when you're obsessed about it. And the bottom line is some people don't give a shit. They don't care if they're awesome or if they suck. You know, there's it's like a clock puncher at work. The guy who shows up and just he's kind of there taking up space. There's people like that. Like they they don't want the hard work. It's like I can't ever relate to that. Meaning like they don't really want the hard shit. You know, like I live in a beach town. You know, this kind of training is very foreign for people. They. You know, the kids here in the summertime want to ride their bike and hang out at the beach all day and then go fishing. They don't fucking care about no putting no bar on their back. They, to them, that's not it. But if I go up north to some of my other locations where the kids are basically, it's the streets, those kids are kind of, it's like they're fighting to get out of where they are. They, you know, my buddy Joe DeSena says, you know, you're not fighting for milk. You know, you got nothing to fight for. You could always... You know, there's, there's people, you know, in your 30, there's people in their 30s and 40s who haven't moved out of parents' house yet mm. and no, and their parents don't care, you know, because it's comfort and comfort is the enemy of greatness. When you're comfortable, your back isn't against the wall and you ain't got nothing to worry about because you're always going to come home to food on the table and a roof over your head. And uh, I purposely have to make shit tough for myself. Because I'm afraid that I could be a normal man, a, nor a common, I call it, you're the common man. You're just going to fucking watch that football on Sunday. You're going to drink your beer. And, uh, you're going to shout at the TV. But can you do 100 push-ups? Can you fucking deadlift? Can you, can you handle? Can you take care of your family if you're in a violent attack? Like, to me, it sounds crazy, but that's what runs through my mind. I, maybe yeah. that is crazy, but to me, that's the normal. No, you're not crazy because I often get these thoughts too when I look at like politicians. Like, uh, how many legit push-ups could Donald Trump do? And this is the leader of the free world. That scares me. That right. so that scares me that someone's physical body is that degenerated. Like, there's no way 
you can mentally be at the top of your game if your physical body is that degenerated. And this is a guy making decisions that impact the whole world. Oh, I'm reading a great book um, called Iron Will, an Iron Will. I'm not sure when it was written, um, but I've posted some snippets of it on my Instagram. I think I, I did it on my last podcast. I read an Iron Will. Um, and uh, the guy who told me to read it was The Ultimate Warrior. And uh, the the author is Orson Swede Martin. It's spelt like Sweet Martin. I can't remember. It's but uh, they have like all the reprints and shit on Amazon. But oh my god, he's talking about one of the presidents, um, and he's saying like you can't what you just said. He's like you can't be at your best if you're only mentally sharp but not physically sharp or you're physically sharp not mentally sharp mm. you must train that mind and body in these in these ways and you know even to that effect like um when i go to vermont to visit my friend joe and he like torches us through the mountains and all this training i'm so empowered and rejuvenated physically and also i'm like sharper i eat better i want to achieve more in my work and it's because of being pushed way outside yeah. my my uh, normal realms of any activity. Waking yeah. up early, being on point, like all this, you know, uh, all this work that he has me doing when I'm up there. It just like it invigorates me, whereas other people let it break them. Yeah, yeah, Zach. We're we're not not that I'm not rough on time running, but there's definitely questions I want to get to. Sure, but, uh, let's do it. Just, just a few things as well there. So about that, that athlete you spoke about who, who had the break of his girlfriend, <clears throat> I mean, that, that kind of gets to this idea of transmutation, which isn't just a training uh, a, a principle or a, a law on training, it's a principle of law on life. So he was able to transmute that pain from his girlfriend and, and facilitate something positive like his training, which is a great thing. And, yep. Uh, so... You've kind of already answered this next question, the kind of the good and the bad that you currently see within the physical preparation profession. So I suppose the bad is that you're, you know, this kind of people are soft nowadays. Um, and I suppose the solution to that is just like not be as soft. Uh, but in terms of, I'll ask the question anyway, what are the things that, so the way I've been wording this lately is what makes you proud to be a physical preparation coach and be in our profession and then what doesn't make you so proud and with the stuff that doesn't make you so proud what solutions would you might offer yep I, I first of all i like that you look for solutions you know i don't want to if we just state the problems it's a it's a, a negative spiral yeah so what makes me proud is the the relentless pursuit of excellence is that um i am always putting in my heart and soul to when i coach and uh to me i'm always trying to get better and that might mean that I, I tend to learn the most by being on the ground floor and coaching and learning and seeing this evolution of athletes and how they've changed physically, emotionally, mentally, how the sports have changed because now the frequency of the sport practice has basically doubled and often tripled uh, what they do. So that's why we see this you know abundance of injuries because the physical preparation not that good. The downside is, um, unfortunately, uh, there's too much information. Yeah. There's no filter to what's good, what's bad. Parents don't know what's good or what's bad. And people <clears throat> simply, when they look for the training, they're being duped. So if uh, I, I just did a blog post saying, you know, I might have a kitchen, but that does, it said strength coach excellence. I have a kitchen, but that doesn't make me a five-star chef. So yeah. if, if um, my neighbor 
you know, just goes and rents a place and puts in turf, kettlebells, medicine balls, prowlers, all that shit. Um, he's got the equipment, right? But he don't know how to use it. And I see a lot of coaches, you know, unfortunately, I come across information and videos and I see people squatting with their knees caving in. I see power cleans where the bar lands on the chest and the kids are hunched over. Um, I see kids deadlifting with like straight legs and round back. And the coach is like, yeah, good. And people are going there. And I see um, the the overabundance of this excellence and convenience, meaning people are like, whoa, that gym is five minutes closer, 50 bucks cheaper. That's where we're going. And I, I when I started training athletes, it was five bucks a workout because that's what the local gym charged to visit for the day. And there's people still doing that today. And um, they're not qualified strength coaches, but they've got chains. And I put that chain on your kid's neck. Now he's an animal. I got a sandbag. But it's these, it's all the fine details, foot position, back position, bracing. What about your knees? Where do your hands go? Where does your head position go? How many sets? How many reps? What about the intensity? What about the volume of work for the beginner? What do I do to talk to you about when you're not in the gym? Because you could train, but you could destroy it all by how you eat and the mm. friends you hang at. I say training is everything. It's the books you read, the movies you watch, your social circles. It's your coaches. You know, if you go to a team where they're always losing and then you start winning, it's like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing, man? You're winning. This is crazy. And then you start thinking, shit, it is crazy. Maybe I shouldn't. You know, do that. And I always tell the kids at my gym, I go, guys, your friends are going to tell you you're crazy. And they tell me they do because their friends go to the gym that costs 20 bucks a month, you know, the LA fitness or whatever. So, but I, our strength and conditioning gym is right next to the student gym. And I peek through the window and I'm like, I, I want to go do some like lat pull downs and tricep push downs and leg curls, some bodybuilding work. I won't even go in there. Because 90% of the people have their phone in their hand and their head down. It just sucks the energy out of me. So what do we do to fix this? How can we fix this? Um, here's something that I'm working on. Is that uh, certain areas, and I don't know how it is in Ireland, um, but I'm sure it's like this kind of all around the world. Right now in the United States, there's not a lot of qualified strength coaches in the schools. The, they, in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Texas, those five states, they're big football states, big track and field. They have, they tend to have qualified strength coaches in the schools. Their weight rooms are pretty good, mm. uh, but the coaches themselves are, are pretty darn good. In New Jersey and a lot of these other states, we're unable to train the kids because the high school coaches uh, don't encourage it. They basically make mandatory high school workout or they kind of threaten the kids and say, you got to train with the team. When I say, well, how are you an expert? You're not an expert because you maybe you squat and bench yourself, but you don't know how to train the incoming freshman. You don't know how to train a kid to work around an injury. You don't know how to train a kid who's coming back from surgery. You don't know how to train a kid who's too much body fat, how to adjust his nutrition, 
They don't know those things. And uh, the stories I hear of the shit going on in schools like, oh, these kids, they squat halfway down or they didn't clamp the weights up and the plates flew off and this. And, you know, they just kind of stand around. But you know what? The parents don't even know. They just say, oh, he's lifting at school. So what I'm really going to work to do in New Jersey is to get to bypass the coaches and the administration and to get to the state level where I get to go and educate and train the coaches because if they're going to make it mandatory, then you need to be an expert. Just like if you're an, if you're a teacher of social studies or math, you had to go to college for it. You had to demonstrate proficiency. But in the weight room, they don't have any of those requirements and, uh, it's dangerous. It cheats the kids really. To me, that's an issue. Um, it's very dangerous. I had a kid last week showed up and he's like, my back, my back. I go, what did you, when did you hurt your back? Did it happen here? He's a football player. He goes, my back was bothering me a bit after I got hit during a game. He goes, and we lift in the morning, 6.15. And he goes, and I squatted. And the, the coach kept saying, go heavier, go heavier. I go, what'd you squat? He goes, I squatted 3.15. I go, dude, that's the thing. I go, let's look at your squats. We pull up his numbers on the software. And uh, I think he squatted like two, what's 225? Was there, 255. I go, dude, you squatted 255 for a triple. There's no way you're squatting 3.15 at 6.15 in the morning. It goes after I squatted, my back is killing me. So now I have to redo this workout. He's not going to do the workout that was planned. I got to take him through like a lower back protocol. I've got to do some hip mobility. Then I've got to do some unilateral work. Then I can't do any spinal loading. Had to change the workout completely because somebody said squat, 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 and they don't know. And he's in a school that just got a brand new, beautiful weight room, college type equipment. So here we go. You know, Robbie, um, if you give me a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or a race car, can I go and like race other people? No, I don't know how. I got the car, but I don't know how. I have a kitchen, but I can't open a restaurant. I just, you know, I could scramble up the eggs. I could make you burgers and steak, but you know, I'm not going to deliver a five-star meal. So here's the thing is that we need the people that are fakers and pretenders have to stop. I don't, you know, I'm sure this would be an issue if, um, are people allowed to pretend to be policemen? (laughs) No. Are people allowed to pretend to be doctors, lawyers? No. Then who, why the fuck are you pretending to be a strength coach? It's so simple. It's complicated. That's what's happening is the, the, the beauty of a perfect squat. You know, the faker doesn't know it. They don't know how to do the setup, how to grab the bar, how to get under it the right way. The breath you take right before the squat, walk it out. Are those feet lined up? Deep breath. Where do the hips go? How low do you go? How do I coach a kid, you know, to get lower? What if that kid seems like he's not connected? Do we add weight this set or do we do a couple sets with this weight? What if his hip is, what if his butt shifts over on the way up from the squat? What hip mobility exercise are you going to do to fix it? Or do you not even know that's going on? So that's the difference between the experts and the fakers. So we need the fakers to stop pretending. If you're a coach, bring in an expert. And uh, really that's not happening in a lot of places in America. So 
what I want to try to do is get to the level of state and say, okay, here is a system of training. Here's what we do with the incoming freshmen. Here are standards we want them to do. Here's what you do in season versus off season. Here's what you don't want to do before a game. Here's some nutrition. I want to put together like a system. And uh, because most of the coaches don't want to hear it, I'm at the point where I'm just like, all right, I said this in the beginning of our interview. Is it good for the kids or bad for the kids? Well, if it ain't good for it, I'm the kind of guy who I stand for what I believe in and I'm going to fight for it. And uh, I see myself as a teacher. I may not be in the schools anymore, but I'm going to help those kids. So I think that we need um, expert coaches. If you're going to work with athletes, you've got to be an expert. You can't pretend it. You know, you can't pretend to be a cop or a lawyer. So don't pretend to be a strength coach if you're not one. So with that, Zach, are you going to go to like the state senators with this or a congressman? I don't think or? the not congressman. So you have um, in America, you have like the state education association. Okay. You eat. We also have like a state, like a scholastic sport association. So, um, you know, the saying of like, it's who you know, that's very important. So I have some connections. I've got a meeting this Friday. We're going to try to propose it. The big thing in the schools is always the safety issue. Mm. So um, kids could kids could really get, they could really get injured or injuries can be, you know, a small injury can become an injury that requires... I don't know if it, you know, I'm not even sure I believe in surgeries anymore because I've had three knee surgeries. I've had a shoulder surgery, but you know, a little, sur a little injury can, can exacerbate something that can, you know, eliminate somebody. Like, here's a story. I, when I opened my gym, um, I used to teach at an elementary school and, uh, one of the girls was just a phenomenal basketball player and softball player. And I remember she stopped at the gym because one of her friends was training. And I was like, you should, you should train. Get, let's get you ready for basketball. She's like, Oh no, I don't want to look like a guy, blah, blah, blah. She tears her ACL her junior year. So she has to get surgery. She tears it during basketball. So she also misses softball senior year. She tears the other ACL and misses softball. This girl was just a hammer with uh when she would play softball i would see her like crack that ball basketball amazing this girl would have been a scholar athlete she would have been scholar to go to a school mm. but because of incorrect training and lack of education and misinformation you know that is a story i don't like to share i don't like to share it but i'm one of those stories the wrong training leads to injuries and leads to poor performance, both physically and mentally, you know, psychologically, emotionally, all of that stuff. You know, the human machine is, uh, it needs the right stuff. And, uh, look, the kids that are genetically gifted, they're athletic, they've, they've done a lot of sports, their parents fed them healthy in these younger years. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. But you want to know what I see now? Kids that are 16 years old with beer bellies and boobs. Like what that, yeah. that, that can't be happening. They look like the dude who walked out of a bar. You gotta be eating so much shit food for that to happen. 
And when that happens, it's like it's a roadblock. It like their genetics, I feel, have been um, contorted in some way because of their poor eating habits. Yeah, it's the, it's the expression of their genetics. Yes. And I feel like, okay, now we need to uh, kind of like uh, intercept this stuff at the earlier ages. Absolutely. And it's, it's hard. You know, New Jersey used to have three days a week physical education for the younger kids. Now it's two days a week. They've, you know, they, they're, it's, it's going to be a battle, but if I don't, if I don't stand up for this, um, I, w- I will not feel good about, I won't feel good about that. I won't feel good about the people who ignore it when kids are getting, um, you know, they're not even achieving any ounce of their potential because a coach is saying we've got mandatory lifting. So I'm going to just bypass the, the, the close-minded people. Yeah, well, your your crusade is definitely commendable. Um, you know, and moving just moving on with that, uh, I think what really drew me to you, Zach, um, you know, years ago when we spoke about the story before we got online, you know, that I, I was watching your YouTube videos back back in the day, like 08, 09. Yep. Uh, I used to love watching those, you know, and you'd be training guys up in the park. And I can actually remember when uh, when I first went to America for my internship at Mike Boyles, I arrived a few days early, and I didn't know the place at all, didn't know where anything was, and I was like, uh, you know, I was I was like itching for a workout, and there was a high school right beside me, and I was like, I'm just going to go over there and find benches and bars, and you were on my mind, and when I was walking there, I, you know, I just went for walking in school, and I was like, oh, look, there's some rocks so I just yep. start, I started like lifting I started like rolling the rocks and I put like the rock over my head and walking lunges and I did push ups <laughs> with it and like I was doing like pull ups off like some like fence and I remember telling uh, Steve Bunker one of the guys a few days later yeah I went to high school I just had to because you know you know you travel you're itching even in a plane yes. and you're itching yep. the train and I was like oh, I just got out and I did some of that and he goes hmm, sounds like you did Zach Evanish workout so, <laughs> dude some people tell me the funniest stories I had an email from somebody in like Indiana. And, uh, the father, the kid's a wrestler, the father, they're talking about what they're going to do. And the father says, when are we going to do a Zach Evanish workout? And to hear that shit just blows my mind because I'm just not like that. I'm actually like, I'm almost like shy about it. And I don't like to say, Oh, this, that, like I've, I actually never feel like I've arrived or I've achieved. I just don't. I always feel like, I got to do more. I got to impact more people in a bigger way, a better way. And um, really the answer is, you know, you said like, what's the answer? Um, you know, some of the best coaches are in the college setting and they work so many hours that they don't have the time to put out information. Yeah. So who's putting out information? People that don't train anybody. Cause it's they funny. got a it's lot funny. of free it's time. Funny. Yeah. It's funny too, because the guys who are usually on uh, there, now, there's a bit of a, a balance to that because I, I, like, there's always extremes. Like, so, like, for one instance, you get some people saying, that, oh, technology's ruining training. It's like, listen, if, if if we take that mindset, we'd still be living in the cave and never gotten to the moon. So it's a balance. Like, we need to embrace technology, but yep. again, don't lose the art. And then it's the same too when, like, oh, if he's, if he's on Facebook, he mustn't be coaching. And, like, I know lots of guys, <laughs> I, know, I know lots of guys who are coaching their ass off and, and are on Facebook really. I mean, like, it doesn't take that hard to do a Facebook post, but. Well, what I do definitely agree, which is you get a lot of people who are like, oh, he's the best strength coach in the world. And they're like, the best strength coach in the world is probably something you don't even know in some, right. in some back, a back hole of nowhere with some high school in a rundown gym. And he's, he's just like creating freaks. Yeah, there's a guy, you know, and also it's like, where are you? So 
speaking of that, you know, down in South Carolina, there's a coach. His name is Mike Schrock. I think Mike is in his early 70s. He always speaks at the Sorenex Summer Strong. Mm. And um, a high school two years ago wanted me on the other side of town to do an interview as a high school strength coach. They took it so serious. The person interviewing me was the football coach. And he said, dude, he goes, what we do down here is we go to church, we play football, and we lift weights. <laughs> That's what we do. And he goes, if a kid misses lifting the week of a game, I don't let him play. That's wow. how serious I take it. So I said to my friend Mike, Mike says, oh, that side of town is the blue-collar side. They had like 12 or 15 double-sided squat racks. There'd be like 30 to 40 kids in every – they had weightlifting class five days a week, and it was mandatory. So that football coach wasn't – you know, I, that to me was like – he's like, Zach, you're going to come to this program. You're going to change this program. We need somebody like you. That's South Carolina. Here in New Jersey, you know what they say? We got it. No thanks. Yeah. We're good. Even with losing. So there's certain areas of the world, of the country, of the state that have – they've been brought up and they, and they understand and they have a certain learning. And a story I share um, <clears throat> was when I went to Israel before high school. I was 13. And um, did you ever hear the story about the Romanian weightlifter? Yeah, uh, Andre the Giant. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and uh, and um, it changed uh, my Jared life. But also the the story with uh, about um, uh, Ishvan Jorik or yep. J- 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 yeah. Coach Coach Javrik, yeah. the guy the guy who wrote the book. Did you ever interview? You ever interview Coach Javrik? No, never interviewed Coach Javrik. But uh, I, like yeah, every, like everyone. Well, not everyone, but like a lot of people in our profession. Well aware of Javrik because of, because of the complexes. You complexes. Javrik yeah. knew Javrik um, complexes. Yeah, you thought, yeah. So we, 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 my we, we, dad we. finally got them. My for years. Um, so when I told Coach Javrik the story, tell tell tell, like, us, oh, tell, tell the story from my listeners. I'll, I'll tell I, the story. I, so um, I'll try to condense it. So the summer before high school, I'm story. 13, and we go <clears throat> to stay with my grandparents, and we're there for three weeks, and I'm. This, I fall in love with bodybuilding. I'm all about it. And I'm like bothering my grandfather. Like, I'm, there's no gym here. Like, if I don't train, my muscles are going to shrink. Like, I need to find a place to train. And we lived in a town where people just know everybody, especially my grandfather. He could talk to everybody. He could speak six languages. Wow. So if you didn't speak this language, he'd go to the next one, the next one. So he says, all right. There's a guy in town, they call him Andre the Giant. He has a gym in his, what's called a flat. So the it's like a downstairs, essentially what my grandfather built. And instead of bedrooms, it was weights in each bedroom. <laughs> so it was like, and um, we go and we knock on his door. And uh, in Israel, from like one to three or two to four, people just shut it down and, and take naps. So my uh, father had a car. He rented a car. We go knock on the door. He answers the door from his nap and uh, he's just like ripped and like, you know, very like, you know, looks like a weightlifter. And I never heard of Olympic weightlifting. I never even heard of powerlifting. All I knew was bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. You know, I read a couple magazines and Arnold's books. So he says, okay, you know, we train at this time in the evening, cost this much money, bring the money you know, pay for your grandkids. So we go down there and, um, I'm training with, uh, my brother and, um, Andre is in the corner 
and uh, the ceiling is cut out high so he could lift overhead. He's got just a squat stand, just upright. And then the floor, he kind of like cut holes in the floor with like, it looked like he cut rubber so he could drop the weights. Yeah. And he's in there doing cleans. He was doing like exercises I've never seen before. And I remember in my mind being like, look at this idiot. He's going to hurt himself. Looks like an idiot over there. (laughs) So it's so funny. Like to just, it's funny yet so embarrassing to actually say the story. So I'm like training, doing my shit the wrong way. I'm doing like bent over row with my back rounded over. And um, there's like people in his, you know, I'm saying it's a gym, but it's like, imagine being in a house where there's like some barbells here, a universal machine there, you know, a lap pull down in the other bedroom. <laughs> so I'm like going and all of a sudden he's like doing shit. Like he's doing cleans. I remember seeing him doing like split jerks very fast. He was doing squat jumps with the bar on his back. Just like he was killing shit in that corner, you know, just killing it. And I was just like, you know who he reminded me of, what gave me memory of him. Um, it was one of the Olympic uh, champions uh, who got uh, popped for steroids, um, but had like beautiful technique. Ilium? Ilium, yeah, Ilium. Like beautiful, clean technique. This is how Andre was training, like, the way the bar moved, I still remember. It was just so beautiful, yet so fierce. And um, there's people kind of like in the gym. I don't know how many people, like 12 people or so. And he just like screams at me as I'm doing like my uh, bent over row with my back hunched over. I'm lifting like 35-pound barbell or something. He fucking screams at me. He's like, no. And then he's like says something. He's like, like this, like with an accent. He didn't really speak English too well. Uh, you know, he's from Romania and spoke broken Hebrew. Shows me how to do bent over row, but he showed it like pull to the neck. He screamed. And I was so like scared. I just fucking like walk outside. I'm like crying. I'm across the street. I'm like on the other side of the street because this is a residential neighborhood. And then like two minutes later, there's like eight guys on the on the on his front lawn. And they're like, come back. It's okay. He won't make you cry anymore. <laughs> I'm like, no, I wouldn't go in. I'm fucking standing outside. My grandfather comes to pick me up. Andre talks to my grandfather. My grandfather, like, rips me a new asshole in the car. He's, like, basically, like, you fucking embarrassment. You're a fucking embarrassment. You listen to that coach. You shut your mouth. Like, he's, like, you're an embarrassment. So, (laughs) he's, like, you are an embarrassment to me. So, you know, that, I was there for, like, three weeks lifting. Andre trained nobody. Andre did his own thing. If I knew what I knew now, yeah. I would say, Andre, I will sleep on the fucking stairs of your house outside if you teach me whatever you're doing over there. That could have changed my entire life if he would have made me lift. You know, what do weightlifters do? They do two sessions a day, sometimes three. If he, he was from Romania, and when I – Tell this story to uh, Coach Yavrik. I see him in North Carolina, and, and he's like, "Oh, you're calling my I'm talking to my father." And I say, "Bye, Abba." He goes, "Who's Abba?" I go, oh, "That's my father." In Hebrew, we say Abba. He goes, "Where's your father from?" I go, "He's from Romania," and he's like, "I'm from Romania." I'm like, "Oh my God!" I was like, "Because uh, you know, when I went to Israel, um, this guy that trained me from Romania." His name was Andre, and he's like, oh, my God. He, 
See, they left Romania during the communism. Mm. So he had seen him since they were like 20 years old. <clears throat> and at the time, they were probably like 60, maybe older. It's like eight years ago. So maybe Coach Yavrik may have been 62, something like that. He starts saying, oh, my God, like this was my um, teammate when we were on Romanian weightlifting team. Coach Yavrik, I tell him this story. He's like dying laughing. He's about to cry. He's like crying. He starts emailing me back and forth, showing me old photos of them lifting weights, like on the grass, on the beach. So my father is trying to find Andre in Israel. Andre has no cell phone, no nothing. Like the guy was just like very like much, uh, just kind of like try to disappear. And when I went to Israel in my early 20s, I saw the weight lift, not the, not the barbells, but like the machines sitting at like a community pool, all rusty. I was like, damn, did Andre, jo Andre die? What happened? And in Israel, people know everybody, you know, especially with the military. You could just, you know, <clears throat> my father has a friend of a friend of an uncle, da, 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 intelligence officer. They go and do their research. They get his address, his phone number. And Coach Javrek, I think just a couple months ago, finally got in touch with Andre. So figure about 50 years of never speaking. He says, Andre answers the phone. I knew it was him right away from his voice. And it was so cool to just be able to connect those two together. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he remembers making me cry, but um, <laughs> he, you know, I really wish, who knows why, you know, but like, man, he didn't train nobody. People paid him. They used the machines. He was in a corner with a squat rack and a barbell just fucking de destroying that shit. And to me, that's probably, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, if that is in my, <clears throat> in my, like, soul. Because yesterday I trained, and sometimes I'll just use one thing, like a barbell or a trap bar. Yesterday I trained, I did cleans. Then I did clean pulls. Then I did shrugs. Then I did barbell row. I just wanted my hand only on a barbell. Sometimes I like thinking of it. I wonder like how my early influences, I, I don't know why even I'm so passionate or so connected to things the way I am, but I love that kind of stuff. Even the old equipment, you know, when before my kids were born, I'd go on eBay and newspaper classified ads and I'd drive to buy an old York dumbbell. I remember buying these two York dumbbells. I have them. They're eighties. They're beautiful. And it was so foggy. Like I was driving so slow because the fog was just so crazy. And I, I just remember putting my hands on the York dumbbells, just being like, ah, like a surge of power. Like who used this? Who touched these weights? So I love that kind of stuff. And, you know, to me, you know, now everything's so easy to access. You know, people want to get fast. They got to go to like a speed coach. You know, I'm kind of like, is it even a good idea to own a gym? Because then the kids don't get to own their own training. Yeah. They don't know how to do anything without a coach. So you know what I tell my daughter? I go, Summer, go play tennis in the street. Ethan, go. I'll set up your net. Throw that baseball. That's what you got to do to get better. Because if a coach is always telling you what to do, you never, you never own who you are. You won't be a champion that way. So I try to tell my kids, like, you got to do the shit. When nobody tells you to do it, when nobody's watching, and to me, that's the champion right there. Yeah, I, I think uh, I was going to get into this earlier too. Uh, like, what what really drew me towards you was this, you know, connection between you know training and 
yeah, it's this deeper meaning. So it's almost like, you know, spirituality and training, like the, you know, this, this, yes. beautiful, this beautiful symphony that they coexist. And, you know, this idea too, like that, you know, the physical and mental qualities we attain, uh, through the training process, you know, transcend it into every aspect of our life. So, um, it was just a little note I made while I was talking to you, that, that little sort of phrase I just said there, because that, that's, that, that's, that's very much how, my relationship and my love for training um feels to me you know it's it's so spiritual it's it's a form of meditation it's a connect, yes. it's it's a connection to everything um to like you know whatever you want to call it you know universal energy a higher power it's just it, it, again it's just connected to everything and it feels again like it's uh it's just again this this you know spirituality equals training training equals spirituality and we're we're just using training as a vehicle or the means to, right. to 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 facilitate uh, the journey of self-actualization within ourselves, and then hopefully through that it makes us better uh, humans to be around, and also then better humans to help facilitate a better world. And from that too, hopefully we can contribute then to society and to better to better bettering other people's lives as well. So it's basically this all-encompassing sort of uh, this all-encompassing sort of nature. That, that the training process can facilitate. So, like, you know, it's kind of hard to put into words, but it's almost me and you. It's very both, hard, yes. Both, 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 me and you, both me and you know it, we can feel it, we can sense it. It's, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost so intangible that we can't put it into words, but I guess it's it's the spiritual growth we get through the training process. Um, and, again, that we want we want the training process then to help transcend into the, uh, uh, all those aspects of our lives. Um, so it's, it's something that, that I just always really appreciated from you and, just off the back of that, then uh, Zach, maybe just we'll just talk a little bit, maybe philosophy of life and training. Then, real quickly, if we just maybe talk about your your system of training, and then I'll ask you just one or two, like uh, like you know, if you had five people to invite to dinner, dead or alive, who might you invite? But then <laughs> I definitely want to get you back on again to talk more about you know, kind of mistakes and advice, definitely business advice, maybe as well. But in terms of just your overall philosophy. Because again, like me, you're you're a, an iron brother again, who has such a, a spiritual connection to training. Uh, you know, what is your overall philosophy, you know, of life basically? You know, and and of someone who's also a parent and a father, like how how are you hoping to facilitate growth and development in in your children? You know, <clears throat> my attitude towards, or my kind of like philosophy of life is just like always evolves, it always changes. So what I'm gonna say now is probably nothing I would have said you know, eight years ago, sometimes I like come across my old videos and I'm like, man, I can't believe I said that shit. That's all part, so, of, all part of the journey though. Yes. Yeah, all part of the journey. So what I find myself in more now is more of like this teacher mode. And because of the struggle of owning an independent gym with my mission of trying to change the lives of athletes is like, well, this almost doesn't make sense anymore to run a gym that I'm trying to change the lives of kids, yet the people that kind of uh, connect with the kids, the coaches, the schools don't want our help or don't want my help. So I'm like, ah, maybe I need to go back to teaching to get into that place. But then other people will say, hey, man, but, you know, if you don't have your gym, then you can't, you know, train all the other coaches or, or yada, yada. So I'm trying to just live really a simple life. Something we said earlier was like about being happy is something that like is on my mind a lot because being an entrepreneur is very stressful. Mm. So 
I, I, I don't know if I could even like put into words my philosophy, but I believe, you know, be strong, be healthy, raise, raise my kids to be kind, strong, to work hard. I mean, it, there's nothing cool about the stuff I really say, to be honest. Yeah. There's nothing sexy about me saying it's beautiful to work hard. It's awesome to go and just do your best. And uh, <clears throat> I don't think I could even give, you know, what I don't even know if I have a life philosophy. But, you know, this past weekend, my daughter and I, I took her to her tennis tournament. She had two days of it. <clears throat> and she she played better than ever. And even when she lost on the second day, she played so great. She, like, fought to come back. She maintained much better composure than ever before. We ate properly in between matches. I got to speak to her about how we need to eat, about how we don't want to fill up so you're hungry, about, you know, I talked to her about things like don't ever say something bad about somebody else because we don't know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. We don't know. And, 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 you know, little things I'm trying to me, the beauty lies in the simplicity, a simple life to me. It's beautiful to wake up early, have a nice cup of coffee, and make breakfast for my kids. To me, that's beautiful. I don't need nothing fancier than that. To me, I don't care if I'm not traveling. Or I get invited to speak all the time. I get invited to to go to, you know, my buddy Joe wants me to do everything with his, come to Iceland, come to Lake Tahoe, come here. I'm just not inspired by it. I'm so simple that I enjoy having to eat the morning training athletes and coming home. And I don't care who knows about what I do where maybe like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years ago, I wanted to get my information out so much, but now I'm more like, I want to, I, I don't care. Like if somebody knows my name or not, I never really cared, but I'm just trying to simplify stuff and be happy mm. and try to um, mitigate and reduce some of the stress that I have because being an entrepreneur has been super stressful yeah, because yeah. of the effort I put into it. It's very When you're passionate, sometimes I wonder maybe it's not the best idea to create a business around your passion because then it could interfere with your passion. You're, it's then that, you know, um, I think like a therapist would say that's like a twin love, like your passion and your that you that's your passion but your passion is your business it's hard to have yeah to two the two of those things um and yeah for my kids you know i'm the big thing i harp on them is uh work work ethic you know working harder than everybody else because i see because i've trained you know i don't know way over a thousand athletes i've i've surpassed that ten thousand hour rule a gazillion years ago I see so many talented people who just don't want to work hard, who give up when it gets hard, who maybe want to work hard only in the sport or only in the gym or, you know, and all these excuses. I'm like, man, it must be so fucking easy to win nowadays with how many people have excuses. So I really try to emphasize to my kids, listen, everything counts, you know, showing up early, shoelaces tied, brush your hair. I don't know, man. I'm teaching shit that's like <laughs> simple stuff, but somehow I well, you, don't see you, that. Uh, you, you, you strike me more as a person who who leads from the front. You know, you, you strike me as someone who uh, 
who, who goes by actions more so than words. So it's kind of like, you know, Gandhi, the Gandhi saying, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. And I just, try to uh, remind myself of that often. Yeah. It's uh, like, I, I'm not a, a parent. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't even have a partner. So like I'm single ladies, just so you hear that thing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but like uh, I am, I would read a lot on parenting because again, and people would say, why would you read a lot on parenting? Well, there's a few things. First of all, I'm fascinated with the human species. Um, mm-hmm. And to, un- to completely understand the human species, you've got to study its environment. So obviously our early environment, environmental exposures are huge aspects in determining who we become as, as individuals. Um, and be that your early exposure in the womb with your mother and then your early childhood experiences. So that's why it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing. But uh, I've, you know, I've studied a lot of um, Osho's work. Like, and it's kind of this fine balance of not, you know, you want to facilitate growth in your child, but you don't want to... Force it, can't yeah. Force you it. don't you don't interfere with them so much that they become essentially mini use. You know that you basically you put your own belief systems yeah. uh, and your own opinions and your own uh, ex- expectations to me it's, on them. It's kindness. Be kind to others, and uh, work ethic. You know, I told my kids this like years ago. I don't know how, like how, but somebody said I hate I hate this person or I hate that, and I said, you know what, guys? I go, Daddy used to sometimes hate people. I said, I got to a point where my heart does not have the room to hate people. I don't have room in my heart for hate. Mm. Like, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to hate you. You're going to be, that's it. I'm just going to move away from those people or circumstances. And, um, you know, speaking of parenting, I saw somebody sent a tweet out probably a year ago to Jocko Willink and said, Jocko, will your son be a Navy SEAL like you? He said, my son will become whoever he wants to become. Beautiful, yeah. Yep. And Ryan Holiday, do you get his email with like his book recommendation, his book list? I actually don't, but I've read, I've, I've, and I know you love the book too, Obstacles Way. It's right here to my right hand side. Yep. I know his, what. His recent book recommendation, because I think they, him and his wife just had a baby, was a book on parenting. And like then his little blurb under it was essentially like what you just said is like, you don't force it to happen. You have to facilitate. So you have to give them the opportunity to be on the sport team. And then you demonstrate. And I think um, my kids seeing me training in the garage and in the street made them think that that's normal. Yeah. They see me deadlifting. They see me sprinting down the street. They see me carrying stuff. So to them, it's just normal that this exercise and hard work is your thing. Um, you know, so, and other things are, I also, you're so fascinated with humans. I'm always trying to pinpoint, Hey, why is this athlete so dedicated and hardworking? Yeah. That, that, and, that, that was the other yeah. thing. That was the other thing I was just going to say to you too, in, yes. terms, in terms of studying par- uh, parenting material, even if you're not someone who has kids, but you're a coach, you should absolutely study parenting material because your your athletes are basically like your kids or like your children. So True. I I was interning at Altus and Jazz uh, Randau, who's the head sports uh, sports therapist. Where was Altus in Arizona or yeah. over in, yeah. in Arizona? Yeah, yeah. I spent three months there with Stu McMillan and uh, Jazz Randau. Right? Yeah, I love, great. Yeah. I love what Stu talks about. He does. See, I believe in the intangibles of coaching. That. So it's like he, I see him writing a lot about that. It really, to me, I, I connect so deeply with that. And it's also refreshing because sometimes I feel very alone. You'd love, when I you'd, you'd, you'd love to, you guys should connect. 
Yes. I'm going to write that down. Uh, so, I, 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 I'll put you guys in touch. You know, one thing with Stu is he's like, he's like, like, he's like, he, he, his brain just, just going like 150 miles an hour. Do you know what I mean? He's just like, he's, he's, he's like, he's, there's a, there is a beauty to Stu. Like, you really get down to Altus and watch him coach. And it's funny when I say coach because, like, you'd watch Stu and, like, it's just like Dan, the great coaches, they don't say so much. They, they kind of let their athletes, it's like guided discovery. They, they let their athletes explore and, and kind of nearly learn learn through the process themselves you know again he's a, he would see it as a, a facilitation process and i don't want to speak for sue but but just going back to uh to jazz one day jazz said to me because he knew that like i i've studied some parenting here and he goes you're gonna go book some parenting and i was like well yeah because he's married and i was like yeah guys trying for a baby and he's like no no not yet but he's like i have to deal with kids every day he's like the athletes and it was so true because like I'll give you, for instance, we were one day, he was treating, I won't name the athletes, just, I don't know if she said their names, but he was treating one particular athlete, and another athlete wanted the treatment, and the other athlete didn't really need the treatment. And he would not want the treatment, only that his friend was getting the treatment, so he was like, you know, Jazz, how come he gets it, and I don't? And Jazz kind of, see what I mean? See what I mean? Kids, I have to deal with kids every day. But I, yep. the, the point, my point I'm trying to get across is, if you are a coach, and even though you might have a family of your own yet, I still think it's crucial to study human development and psych- psychological development and human behavior. And for me, Zach, a, a huge, you know, if you were to ask me, like, sort of my life philosophy or core values, epigenetics is, is a huge driving factor in how I see and perceive reality. And what that made me appreciate was that the organism is usually influenced by its environment. And us humans are hugely influenced by our environment in every way. So, like, we've got chronic factors, like, again, our upbringing, you know, our family, society, school, they kind of, like, are chronic factors in determining who we are on, on any given moment because you know they, they help set like our subconscious belief systems but then there's also cue factors like our sleep and our nutrition and our exercise and like just you know things like that and the simple fact of the matter is that we need to get to a place of awareness that we can 100 percent control how we perceive in our environment no matter what's gone on before in terms of our conditioning and our uh, experiences up until that point and i think that's one of the key features of us as humans in terms of our journey in life is to, you know, try and get to a place of self-actualization and be like, this is who I truly am. Because, you know, a real scary thought that I always ask people is, have we ever had a thought that was truly ours, that was completely unadulterated by any previous experience or conditioning that we've had? Because you talk to people and they're like, I'm Irish, I'm German, I'm Catholic, I'm Muslim, I'm Jewish. It's like, but you're only putting those identities on you because that's what you were told from day one. It's funny, when people always go, uh, who are you? I'm like, I'm Robbie from Planet Earth, nice to meet you. Like, I won't say, like, I'm from Ireland or Dublin or I'm Catholic or I'm, you know, Caucasian or whatever. Not that ever, who, who, who would ever say that I'm Caucasian? Caucasian. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I don't put any tags on because that's just, again, it's a condition and it becomes so subconscious or drilled into it so we don't even start to question it anymore. So, and as I said... And how yeah, we communicate is so oh. different now because everybody's um, offended and sensitive, right? Like... The stuff that my wrestling coaches said to us and did to us. Back in the day. That's right. Like, they'd be fired. But those are the things that actually made me better. Oh, you, you mean because... you, you mean the current Chinese forces? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what I, I've actually known coaches. I actually know coaches that were recently in the summer with the judo team. And he's like, it is, it is like he said, it's 1940s, 50s, Cold War American Russia. He's like, they're slapping their athletes around. It's like harder, harder, harder. He's just like. If people saw in the Western world what they're doing in China, they'd be, like, mortified. Wow. The um, In our 
um, not where I live now, but where I used to live, like 15, 20 minutes away, was a, uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, nationally known, but it was a judo club run, um, by, uh, the, the, I think he was from Japan. And, um, he was the Olympic coach in the United States for 88, 92. And basically, we trained a guy from there who was so disciplined and so tough and so like, I, it, it just, just when I think about him, like, he was just like the ultimate. He did what you said. He worked hard. Like, he did everything. And it was because he was essentially raised by that guy. You know, he spent so much time in that judo club. And anybody who came out of that judo club, when wrestlers would go there, now I look back and I'm like, oh, you, you trained at the Cranford Judo Club? Yes. Uh, now I know why you were so great. Like that yeah. was probably a big reason why. And it was, it's because of that environment. But I look at like, okay, why, how's this kid winning a state title in wrestling when he's coming from the projects in a place where kids are getting shot every day? How does he win? He has no wrestling club. He's probably eating shitty food out of a can. He's certainly not eating properly. Probably mindset. got a shit mindset, right? Then how's that kid winning? He's coming, you know, from a highly affluent area. He lives in a mansion. There's a butler in the house. How the fuck is that kid so tough? So there's, there's, it's very hard to put your finger on it. Well, the, the, the key thing is that while you go back to environment, shape and organism, what separates humans from other organisms is that we have, we can choose our perception of our environment. So, like, there's Victor Frankl. You you must know Victor Frankl. Yep. Uh, Man's one of the best books of all time. And in that, he talks about between stimulus and response is our freedom to choose our our uh, our response to the stimulus. And that's what separates humans from other other species. So that we, you know, again, it, the key thing is that while organisms are determined by their in, uh, environmental exposures, what separates us humans in terms of in, in terms with other organisms is that again we can perceive our environment we can choose how we want to respond so you can put two people again in the same environment and have two completely different responses very true and and one thing uh, like uh and it, again that kind of goes back to again again the environment shaped organism and as i said earlier on epigenetics is a, is a huge driving factor in how i would see and perceive reality and what that really made me appreciate zach was that you know, everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason. And then what that made me then become aware of is the need to have unconditional love. Or, you know, some people don't like that term. You can just use the term acceptance, which we kind of spoke about offline. We were talking about, you know, about uh, Buddhism and coming to a place of acceptance. So I suppose for me in my life philosophy or core values, acceptance is a huge thing, unconditional love. And that's driven me to be a more compassionate person and show more empathy. And then always question why like why is someone the way they are why is something the way it is and you spoke about early on about like you know you were saying that your i think you said it was your daughter you, you know never kind of judge someone because you don't know what's really going on in their lives um, and that's kind of yeah and that's kind of Say where it to I, both of my kids yeah like, that's kind of where like I am you don't know about. yeah you don't know what's you, going on yeah you don't know and look i make the mistake i judge people but i don't oh, we know. all do Yes, and that's probably the. Sure, we, you know, we we judge it. We judge ourselves. Like how many times a day or or during a week you make yep. a mistake and you're like, oh, you idiot! Oh, how did I do that? If if we self judge ourselves, like I mean, it's 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 only natural that it's going to reflect on other people. But the big thing it, for me is like I just be, I believe everybody's capable. Especially you know I wear I'm like you are capable of winning more and doing better and just being. A better you. Absolutely. So I need you to like, you know, and, and that's the tough thing is like I get caught up in like, 
ah, I feel like I want it more than you, which, you know, from the, from a world of coaching, um, it's, you know, I'm probably not in the correct place because, um, you know, an independent coach, I, that's probably a good idea. I'm going to reach out to, to Stu. I need to speak with coaches like that who are in a kind of place where you are facilitating yeah. versus pushing. And I think that that's, that's the beautiful word too, is that as coaches, we are facilitators. And again, going back to this idea about, you know, uh, training is, is the training process is merely just a means or a vehicle to drive, you know, spiritual growth in our journey through life. And I think it's key that we see that our jobs as coaches is really as facilitators, as teachers. And that, that kind of goes in into like the concept of ego. You get a lot of coaches and they're, they're doing it because it's for them. Whereas we need to realize yeah. we're, we're facilitating growth in our yeah. athletes. I don't care. I don't need anybody to say, hey, thanks, Zach. Don't worry. I just need to help you achieve your your that word potential they say is bullshit because they say potential means nothing. It's it's you either do or you're not doing. Yeah, yeah. And I believe everybody has potential, which is probably why I train athletes so in, intensely. Zach, we'll, we'll wrap up here because uh, sure. I got I gotta go myself. But I'm definitely gonna get you back because I have loads more. I need to ask about your training system, mistakes and lessons, advice. <laughs> definitely business stuff, mentorships. Didn't even get into talking about your certification, your uh, book, the uh, Encyclopedia um, of uh, the Encyclopedia of Underground Strength and Condition. Yep, inspired by Arnold's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. So definitely want to touch on that. Yep. But just before you go, I'll ask you the, the dinner question and then where people can uh, where people can find out more about you. But just something too before we go on, it's something that Tony Robbins actually made me aware of and think just I think you'd appreciate this just going off what we just spoke about in terms of like how can a kid from the projects and then a kid from a very, you know, uh, wealthy background still be both champions. You know, what he made me realize too was that he was speaking to this girl one time and like, you know, most of us think that, you know, people that were like, had bad upbringings, like who were abused and sexually assaulted or what, like that, you know, and, and they, and they like, they, they go on to do great things in their lives in terms of, you know, whether it's their health and their wellness or contributing to society. And people go, oh, it's amazing given the background they have. But then what Tony may realize is that it's just, it's just the same on the opposite end in terms of if you come from a very secure, you know, easy convenience, the word we've used throughout today sort of background. He's like, that's just as much as a detrimental impact to someone as someone going to the project. So he had this girl and he was like, uh, what was your father like? And she was like, oh, my father was the best ever. And then Tony's like, treat you like a princess, give you everything you needed. And she's like, yeah, he was so good to me. I never needed for my father. Like, always gave me everything I wanted. And then Tony Robbins like, pause. And he goes, what a fucking asshole. And everyone's like, what? And he goes, do you realize your father has ruined you? Like, she says, no matter what like nothing will ever be good enough now in your life and that's that's like how you perceive your reality now he's like he's actually held you back from you reaching your true potential wow. person because you've, ne- you've never had to you've never had to go through a challenge or a grind you've never had Fight. any yes. you've never had any character building uh, moments in your life that would lead you or facilitate you to be the person you truly need to be become so he's like so Tony's just saying like that upbringing is just as bad or as detrimental as somebody who got sexually assaulted or raped or bed up as a kid but they said uh, Oprah was, I think, sexually assaulted oh, and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. I think she had she got pregnant and had fucking like uh, abortions and all that. Like from you know, so it's just it, amazing what she's amazing what she's done. I mean, she's been around since I was a kid. Like a not only and not not only like is she uh, is she black? She's a black female. Do you know what I mean? Like so, like she she had the double whammy. So she's yep. incredible. 
You know, and, and it's so funny because you get people going, oh, over the Oprah Winfrey song, like, or they, you know, saying they talk about, like, Arnold, you know, and it's just like, like, guys, like, because, you know, because you know, Arnold's not the greatest actor ever, Oprah, her show's a bit, like, you know, wee-wee-wee sometimes, it's like, guys, but look at, like, their rise, like, how did those two people get to where they are, like, like, you cannot, like, but be in awe of their stories, like, it's amazing, and off the back of that, then, Zach, we'll wrap up, if you could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would the five people be and why? And then just before you answer that, give us give us your website and all your your uh, your contact details. Okay. So uh website is zachevanish.com, undergroundstrengthcoach.com. Those are probably the, the best places. Um I don't really think of like that, that dinner question. I mean, I used to always say Arnold because I've read so much about him and uh I love always how he's overcome the obstacles. But I would love to hear about, I would do it in the selfish manner of like, I am so about kids. You were, you know, in charge of like the President's Council of Fitness. I need to get this training in front of kids. I'd want to ask him that. I'd also ask him about, because I have um, the books, Pumping Iron, and uh, supposedly there was reasons why he purchased the original films from pumping iron because of certain things he said and did. So I'd love to hear things that he wished he'd, you know, he did, didn't, didn't do and so forth. So I'd, I'd be kind of asking him on like business and life and past things. Um, Tony Robbins. I don't know if I would, you know, this is a tough, I'd love to have dinner, you know, with my grandfather again, my grandparents. So I would have my grandparents there. Um, I would need somebody who's like crazy, crazy smart business because I feel like I don't even know what the hell's going on in the business world anymore. So I would probably want to have um, probably Mark Cuban and Gary. I don't know if I'd want Gary Vaynerchuk. Mark Cuban, I'm kind of looking at my bookshelves here. I think Mark Cuban would be somebody powerful to have dinner with. You used to do uh, work with Ryan Lee for did you? Yep, did a lot of stuff with Ryan. Yep. And the business stuff evades me, and I'm so in my heart wanting to get my information out to the world. Um, Seth Godin, maybe I'm looking. I see Seth Godin's yeah, books up Seth's there. Yeah, Purple Cow. Yeah, Tribes. Seth would be. Yeah, that, that's Tribes was one of my favorite books. I remember in the early days. Um, and you know who would be interesting? The guy who's created um, a lot of those like survivors. His name's Mark Burnett. He created like Survivor, The Apprentice, and he was a big reason why I remember what gave me the guts to leave teaching because he was talking about in Survivor how he bought, I think, like an island for like, I don't know how much money. Oh, no, he was on an island, bought the island, they're filming, and then some legal thing came up and they had to stop everything. And he goes, I lost, I think he lost like $26 million. Wow. And I'm like, holy shit, if this guy... The name of the book was called Just Make the Jump or Just Jump In, something to that effect. So I'd want to be around my grandparents, Arnold, Mark Cuban, Mark Burnett. That's five people. It's probably not the proper answer. I'm not sure if there's somebody I'm missing in there, but I'm looking at some of my books. I think that would be pretty cool. That's pretty cool, yeah, yeah. And speaking of books, just for listeners, make sure you check out Zach's book the encyclopedia of underground strength it's an absolutely fantastic book and definitely check out your website 
you got lots of great resources there. And also your own podcast, which is fantastic. Strong Life Podcast. Yeah. Yes. So we got some great interviews there. I was saying to you, I don't know if this is offline or online, but I was listening to your interview with Phil Wagner today. Who I definitely yep. want to get Phil on. He's, he's a super smart guy as well. Yep. But awesome. uh, Zach, listen, this has been a American podcast. We're on here. Well, we've been on the call here since two hours. I think we, we recorded it. We're recording about <laughs> an hour and 45 or something. But yep. I definitely got to get you back on because there's so many more questions. And again, just, you know, you're uh, you're another brother from another mother in terms of we both have a just an absolute unquenchable passion and love for yes. for training and and for you know <laughs> as people say the iron game like I've, on my bookshelf I got all like the old school books about like I got books from Hack and Schmidt and uh, yes. you know a, a way to live by Hack and Schmidt and again it goes back to you know back in the day those guys it wasn't like it wasn't as that if like amazing ah oh, it's unbelievable like those guys it was like a whole lifestyle you know it was I mean, it was like training was just one part of their lifestyle they meditated they did they, they the way they ate the way they they cleanse themselves like you know the they meditated you know the training was just one aspect that facilitated spiritual growth in, them awesome. in their lives so it's great to finally talk to you and connect with you yes. uh, and uh, i definitely want to have you back on but just uh i'll wrap up and then i'll say goodbye to you offline so guys an absolute pleasure to have coach zach Evanesh online um, make sure you check out his stuff. Definitely his podcast, which I've started to listen to recently, is fantastic resource. Some absolutely brilliant episodes on there. Um, but for now, guys, I'll talk to you all soon. Take care, be well, and as I always say at the end, stay strong. Mm-hmm.